This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. As our children are making their way to their class, I'd invite you to open God's Word to 2 Kings. We'll be in 2 Kings chapter 1 for today's reading of God's Word. And this book begins like so. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, Go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, It is because there excuse me, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. 
So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram of, Je- of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, pardon me, became the king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your church, as your people. Lord, to receive from you the word that you have prepared this week for us. Father, I pray that our hearts would be soft. Lord, as we heard mentioned already this morning, that though there be distractions about us, whether it be things in our own lives or perhaps things we're seeing in the news, whatever worries or concerns that we might be uh, bringing in with us this morning, every need that we truly have, every void we need filled, all that we need can be found in you. Lord, we trust you this morning and ask, God, that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, if there's anybody here who might be in need, whether it's their, their health, spiritually, physically, whatever those needs are, Father, we trust you, the God of Israel, the God of our church, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we trust you this morning. And we pray, God, that we would be uh, able to hear and receive what you have for us. Lord, we, we pray for Pastor Aaron, who will be delivering the word to us this morning, preaching his word, God. I pray that it would do the work that you have prepared beforehand, and that, Lord, you would speak through him to us. May your hand of blessing be upon him and minister to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, and as you may or may not have noticed, I got a cool little piece of uh, jewelry on my wrist, right? See that? That is a yellow band that represents the offensive linemen of Trenton High School, and I'm coaching with them this year, and on this band it says, Trojan Pancake Platoon. That's because the offensive linemen have statures like myself, and they like to eat, but we want them to pancake everybody who comes their way, right? I want you to think about uh, offensive linemen for a moment. I want you to think about their job in football. Their job is to protect, their job's to protect the quarterback. And so we, we work with these gentlemen to strengthen them in their bodies and in their minds, to keep their minds sharp, to remind them of the task that they have before them. And it so happens that as you're working with these guys, it, it inevitably they become a little bit more cocky as they see themselves having some success, so much so that they'll begin to call one another out and, and they'll challenge their teammates to go against them. I want you to think about that for a moment. When we challenge someone, what are we doing? We're saying, prove yourself to me. 
prove yourself to me. That's why we challenge someone. You know, it's in our pride that we challenge God like that. Prove yourself to me. It's in foolishness, to be honest, that we test God. And the truth be told, most of us in this room know that we test God way too often. The Bible's filled with examples of individuals testing God. One of the famous ones in the Old Testament is found in the book of Exodus where Pharaoh challenged God, and guess what happened? He lost. He lost. Satan tested Christ in the desert, and he lost. Yet we see it again in our text. We see a king testing God. As you open up your pages to uh, 2 Kings, and as you look at this chapter, you quickly see that we go from a dead king, Ahab, to an injured king. And all through the lives of both, God has revealed himself to be absolutely in charge. And yet both of these individuals challenged God. With his second king, the son of Ahab, we're told that he fell from a window or a lattice. No information is given why he fell. Was he drunk? Was he, was he working on the window? Was he not paying attention and just being clumsy? We don't know why, but for whatever reason, he falls from the second story window and he's injured. And he decides that he wants to take counsel regarding his injury. He wants to know if he'll recover. Which of us wouldn't want to know the same thing? Which of us wouldn't know, want to know more clarity if we were having a medical issue? We would ask the doctors and the nurses for all the information we could possibly get. So what he's doing isn't wrong. He, he wants to seek counsel. Yet it's the choice of his counsel. It's his confrontation of the living and true God that's not wise. As we see in our text, the, the king thought a little too highly of himself, and he shouldn't have. In fact, the, the very book, 2 Kings, opens in verse 1 with this statement. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Moab rebelled. Why did they rebel? Because they saw a weak king. They saw a chance to, to flex their muscle and regain territory and rob it from Israel. That's exactly what happened to this king, he lost territory, yet he still thought too highly of himself. And God was going to make clear who was really in charge. See, as it's already been stated, we, we are to trust and not test, and yet most of us test because we don't trust. Let's go to our text we see that he sends these messengers in verse 2, and he wants to know, shall I recover? But friends, the fact is, there's no God but God, and that God has no rivals. Scripture is clear in the Ten Commandments, as it states in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. This king should know that he needs to report to the living and true God. But what does he do? He sends messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Well, for the reader's sake, what is Ekron? Who's Ekron? 
Ekron is one of the five Philistine cities. You know the Philistines because David was fighting the Philistines. You know the Philistines because the Philistines always seem to be at war with Israel. And here Israel, the king of Israel, is going to one of the Philistine cities to inquire one of their gods. The specific city, Ekron, was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was held by the Philistines. You remember that story. And what happened to them? They became sick to the point that they didn't want the Ark in their presence any longer. It was in this city of Ekron that there was a statue to Beelzebub. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. (laughs) We don't know how Beelzebub got its name. Maybe because he protected the people from the flies and the gnats. That's a possibility. That's a good guess. Or maybe it was a name that the Hebrews had given as an insult to this God of the Philistines. Whatever the case, this king seeks out advice, counsel from Beelzebub. Friends, in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus cast the demons out, It said that the reason he could do it was because he did it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. By the time the New Testament is written, the term Beelzebub is applied to Satan. It's this God that the king of Israel is seeking for advice. This king thinks a little bit too much of himself and obviously not enough of the God of Israel. And so God steps in. God sends Elijah. He says, arise, go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. He says that in verse 3. And you know what Elijah actually means? The Lord is my God. Right there in this text, just through the names that are used, we're seeing a battle royal. A royal rumble as Elijah confronts the messengers of the king. And what does this man of God ask? He asks, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire from Beelzebub, God of Ekron? Let me read that again. Is it because there is no God in Israel? Is that the reason you're going to Ekron to ask the god Beelzebub for advice, for counsel, for instruction? It's because there's no God in Israel, right? That's why you're going? Do you sense it? Do you sense the way in which Elijah is confronting these messengers? See, Elijah understands that by the king's actions, he's implying there is no God in Israel. And yet God is ready to make it abundantly clear that there is only one God, and it's him. Friends, truth be told, each and every one of us ignore the living and true God as well. Far too often we seek answers from the false gods of this world. And you know how we do it? We open our iPhones We talk to Siri. We ask for counsel from Wikipedia. We seek the counsel of this world rather than truly seeking the counsel of the living and true God because our Bibles go neglected. But our phones and Siri and Wikipedia are used to gain information. 
The bottom line is we all need to be remembered what God has declared. God is not silent. God has spoken. His word lacks nothing. And yet there it is, sitting on our shelves day after day, week after week, collecting dust because we're too busy to hear from the word of God. The prophet Isaiah says, the, wither, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Friends, if you have something that's eternal versus something that, that fades, something that withers, why would you not want to consume what lasts forever? Yet far too often we're like the king. We're seeking the pagan gods of this world for opinions and information to decide how we should live and what we should do and, and, and all the things that we think are necessary in life, all the while ignoring the very word of God. Why? Because we lack trust. We lack trust in the word of God. We prefer the wisdom of the world. And so what do we do? We test God. And that's exactly what we see. We see this in a weak king who thinks too highly of himself and too highly of his culture rather than understanding that he should be thinking high of the living and true God. I wish I could tell you the story at this point turns that once the messenger Elijah shows up that the, the, the messengers come back and everybody changes and, and now they repent and everything ends up well. But that's not the story. It's already been read for you. You already know how it's going to come about. But what we see is we see the foolishness of one who tests God. That's exactly what the king does in his stubbornness. He tests God. Look in verse 5. When the messengers returned too quickly, he asked, Why have you returned? They tell him, Well, the man of God said, Is there no God in Israel? You should not come down from your bed, which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. That's what he said. And then the king says, What kind of man was it whom you met? To which they answer in verse 7 or verse 8, he wore a garment of hair and a belt around his waist. And the king replies, oh, that's Elijah. And think about what's taking place. He's more concerned with the messenger than he is with the message. How often that's true for us. We're more concerned with what the pastor or the preacher is wearing or, or what he's saying or how he's saying it than the actual message of what he's saying. Friends, we really need to see here that we can be like this king, missing the message of God. And see, the king misses something else. The king actually misses the mercy of God. See, God is showing mercy by actually interrupting his sinful action. Do you see that in the text? That God actually interrupts his sinful stubbornness by sending him Elijah to confront him. And what does he do? He ignores the message. Friends, I pray this isn't us. 
But all too often it is. It is us. We ignore the message of God. He taps on our shoulder. He grabs a hold of us by the scruffs of our neck. He sometimes has to slam us into the wall to get our attention. But we still ignore him. And yet the stubborn king continues to test him. The stubborn king sends an army of 50 to seek for Elijah. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Why an army of 50? Why not just a few more messengers? Why not just send the original messengers back and say, bring Elijah here. If he just really wanted to inquire with Elijah to find out more specifically what Elijah meant, But he wasn't concerned about the message. He was angry at the messenger. So he sends an army of 50 to pursue Elijah. They came seeking to show their king's power over the man of God. That's why they were there. They came with arrogance. Listen to the very words of the captain of the first 50. He says, man of God, come down. He's demanding. He's commanding. He's acting like he has some type of authority over God's man. But listen to the words of Elijah. Elijah responds in verse 10. He says, if I am the man of God, I love that. If I am the man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And sure enough, it does. And then that old stubborn king, what does he do? (laughs) He sends another army of 50. You know, there's a definition of insanity, right? The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over again and over again and over again, but always to be expecting what? Different results. We see the definition of insanity in this king. He now sent a second group of 50 to Elijah after 51 of his people have already been annihilated. And this time they come with arrogance again. Look at verse 11. They say, man of God, come down quickly. Hear the authority in their voice, the power which they speak. Again, they're speaking so as to show that their king has power over God's man. Come quickly. To which Elijah, the man of God, responds. He says in verse 12, if I am the man of God. I truly love that line. If I am the man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And guess what? Fire came down from heaven and consumed another 51 men. That's 102 men that have been destroyed. Friends, I I draw your attention to that. It's important that we understand what's taking place that God is showing his power over the king and all his men. That God is saying, I am in charge. The fire in this text represents judgment. God is protecting his word. He's protecting his promises. God is protecting his people. And he's doing all of this to protect his honor. Don't miss that in this text. God is, in fact, actively protecting his word. He's actively protecting Elijah, and he's doing it all to protect his honor. 
This isn't the first time we've seen this. In fact, it's not the very first time we've seen it on the very place where Elijah is. It's believed that Elijah's still there on Mount Carmel. What happened before? Where Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice he had placed in 1 Kings chapter 18. And God did it. And now we've seen God do it twice more, consuming the armies of this king. God is showing his power over the king and his men. God is making known his reign. God will not be mocked. He will not let the pride of this king go unchallenged. Friends, we need to memorize that truth. God will not let the pride of us go unchallenged. I turn your eyes to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 talks about the fact that any ruler or government that ever tries to overthrow God will be brought down. Just listen to the first four verses of Psalm 2 where it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Oh, what arrogance. But look how Psalm, four, Psalm 2, verse 4 responds. He who sits in heaven laughs. Friends, this is the king we serve. One who laughs at the threats of men. That's either going to scare you or that's going to encourage you this morning. It's either going to scare you or it's going to encourage you this morning. See, because those of us who are putting the Lord God to a test, it should scare us. It should remind us of Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we're told, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Yet how often in our pride, we like the king ignore God's warning. We, like the king, begin to make our own way. Friends, I ask you this morning, how have you put God to the test? How are you actively challenging God? Let me tell you, one of the ways we do it, we expect him to meet our expectations. We expect God to meet our preferences. We expect God to meet our timetables. Those of us in the room who understand what I'm saying, you know exactly what I mean. You, you understand that we have expectations on God. God needs to meet our expectations, and when he doesn't, we're angry. When God doesn't meet our timetables, we're furious. I remember hearing a story of a boy who challenged his father. He said, Dad, pitch the ball, and I'm going to hit it so far. So his dad took the ball and he started pitching and and strike after strike after strike. The boy finally threw down his bat. He walked away. He blamed his father. He said, the reason I couldn't hit it was because you threw the ball where my bat wasn't. How often we're like that. God, you're throwing the ball in the wrong place. God, you're supposed to do what I want when I want it. How dare we challenge the sovereignty of God. 
Far too often, church, we who are redeemed act more like the pagans, more like this unbelieving king. And in the face of all this, the king still sends out a third captain and an army of 50. And as he does, the third captain, seeing everything that has taken place, must have been quaking in his boots. Because as he approached Elijah, he submits humbly, actually being taking his knees, he says in verse 13, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Do you hear it? Humility. See, what each and every one of us needs to remember is that humility is the way of life. Pride is the way of death. And what we see so clearly in this text is that this king, filled with pride, didn't matter what it cost him. Well, this one lowly captain took to his knees because he saw the reality of God's reign. And it's in that moment that God tells Elijah through an angel of the Lord to go with him. He actually tells Elijah, don't be afraid. And you may be asking, what did Elijah have to be afraid about? I mean, two times fire came out of heaven. What was Elijah afraid of? Let me tell you, Elijah was still afraid of that wicked woman, Jezebel. And God took it upon himself to encourage his servant, even in the midst of of everything and says, don't be afraid. Go with him. And so Elijah goes and he obeys and he goes to the bedside of this this sick king. And I want you to hear the words that he says. Pay attention to every word. He says, because you've sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there's no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. What do you see? He didn't change the message. Even in the face of the king, he was faithful. He was to believe in the message that God had given him. And so are we. Far too often, church, we change things to make it slightly more acceptable in the culture, to make ourselves a little less uh, a burden on ourselves. But not Elijah. He was willing to stand in the gap, to be faithful to the word of God. He trusted rather than tested. What about you? Are you testing the word of God or are you trusting the word of God? See, the contrast is seen so clearly when you compare the third captain and his men who lived because of humility versus the king who, according to verse 17, died because of his pride. The book of Proverbs says this so abundantly clear in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Church, there's something that's tucked in here that I don't want you to miss. We're told that this king had no children. 
He had no son. God was fulfilling even the smallest details that he had spoken to Ahab that his line would be wiped out. Church, understand this. God is faithful. We need to stop testing him and start trusting him. Friends, the lesson of this sermon is so clear. The prideful will fall, but the humble will experience eternal life. That's the simple truth of this text. Those who are filled with pride will fall, but those who are humble will experience eternal life. And friends, isn't that the truth of the gospel itself? It isn't that why the gospel is so offensive to the culture, because it calls us to acknowledge our need. It tells us to be humble rather than prideful. It tells us to come forth and admit our weaknesses, to acknowledge our sin. It makes us admit that we can't save ourselves. Friends, for the prideful, the gospel means destruction. For the humble, the gospel means eternal life. Which is it for you? Where do you stand in the comparison? Friends, God's promises can be trusted. It all comes down to how we respond in humility or in pride. We're called to look to the promised one for salvation, the one in whom there is salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. Beelzebub can't save you. All the kings of Ekron can't save you. The worldly wisdom of Siri cannot save you. God and God alone is the Savior of men. So I ask you, how are you responding to God's word? Are you responding in humility, which brings life, or in pride, which brings death? Friends, this text clearly demonstrates that God is present and powerful. We need to stop looking for answers from all the false gods of this world. As the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, he says, I am the Lord and there is none other besides me. There is no God. So stop looking. Because of that truth, we must acknowledge God. And if we're smart, we'll acknowledge God's mercy and that he has interrupted our stubbornness. He's interrupted our pride. He's called us to repentance. And may we, like the third captain, drop to our knees and repent in true humility. For humility brings life, but pride brings death. The Apostle Peter, writing in his epistle, says, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He's one who understood clearly the need to be humble because he was so filled with pride. Throughout Peter's life, he constantly was the first to talk, the first to put himself in there, and yet he had to learn humility in a very hard way, and he did that when he denied Christ three times. And yet now, in his own epistle to the church, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Here's why. That at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may lift you up. He goes on to say, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Church, remember that he loves you. His promises are for you. This is why we should trust him and not test him. And yet the apostle goes on, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Here's why. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know what he's telling you? You're at war. You're at war with your own pride. You're at war with your own self-righteousness, your own self-confidence. And the enemy, he sneaks in, he's crafty. He's like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Church, may we submit to the living and true God rather than challenge him. May we place our faith not in false gods, but the one and only true and living God. May we trust him and not test him. Let's pray. Father, I know that the saints in this room are experiencing some hard times. There's a lot of testing of our faith, and yet, Lord, we think in our own arrogance that we have the right to test you. God, we repent of our arrogance. We repent of our pride. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be humble. And Lord, we acknowledge that the difficulties each of us are facing in life have forced us to look up. And God, as we look up, we see one who is faithful and true. And so thank you for being faithful. God, help us not to test, but to trust. We know our enemy seeks like a roaring lion to devour, but Lord, you are our hope and you've already defeated our enemy. Thank you for the truth of the gospel and thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we truly have our eyes fixed on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.